What's up, podcast? This interview is with Stefan Bondi, the New York Knicks beat writer for the New York Daily News. He has been with the Daily News for over 10 years, and I had a lot of fun speaking with him. I really, really, really hope you enjoy this episode. What's going on, everybody? Dylan Manfrey on hand for the Sport Profile. So excited to be joined virtually by Stefan Bondi, the Knicks beat writer for the New York Daily News. Stefan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. So how have you... How have you handled all of this? What describe like your last experience of normalcy? I say that in air quotes because of everything going on. And I saw a couple of trends on Twitter with you know sports sports reporters saying like, "What was your last experience of normalcy?" Um, you know, before everything hit the fan. Well, um, I was the Knicks were still in season, and I was smart enough to understand the trend of what was happening. And and they were on a road trip. They were supposed to go to. Um, I think I they were in Atlanta. The they were in Atlanta, and then they were going to Miami, I think it was. Right. Um, I understood that um, where this was going and that the season was either going to be postponed at some point or they weren't going to allow media um, in the locker rooms or to even interview players. So I was booked for that trip to Atlanta and Miami. And a couple days before, I called the airline and I said, can I get my money back because this isn't going to happen. Something's yeah. going to happen not going to work out they ended up playing the game in atlanta but they didn't do media afterwards okay they didn't, they didn't even go to miami so i was watching those games on television and i was watching the whole thing unfold uh with what happened with okc in utah uh, yeah where rudy gobert tested positive and then after that happened it was kind of like an avalanche um mm-hmm. of news breaking in terms of uh, the season being canceled, and the Knicks actually went in, into overtime in Atlanta, which was pretty crazy. Yeah. After the season, after the season was like basically going to be postponed, um, and um, you know the next few days were just, you know, what's going to happen? How long is this going to last? And that was really the last that it felt like um, normal basketball season was happening. It, actually, before that. Um, I was covering a game in Washington, so I did. I, I was part of that. The first part of that trip, I drove down to Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. And, and they began um, doing social distancing interviews with the players. Really? So we, yeah, we showed up into Washington. They, the Knicks were shooting around in Georgetown University mm-hmm. at the practice facility. We showed up there, and we had to uh, sit six feet away from the players we interviewed. We interviewed Frank Nilakina. Julius Randle and Mike Miller, the coach. Yeah, and they set up like a makeshift press conference where um, really they uh, they put uh, the interview subjects in a chair, and then they put about five or six chairs six feet away from them. Um, so that was that was my last experience covering a game. Wow! So you were actually a part of you know a social distance media interview. It, I'm sure it felt different, but you know you've also been like regular press conferences. Yeah, it was different, and um, at that time, this was before everybody understood how serious this was. Right. Uh, NBA was one of the first leagues to take it that seriously, uh, but there there was some like mocking of the situation. I remember, I think it was maybe it was Julius Randle or um, Bobby Portis. I can't remember, but um, they they were making fun of the situation, like stay away from the media member you're not allowed to six feet away like you know make, almost making light light of it um but you know a few few days later everybody realized how serious this was yeah 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 so there's talk about you know returning to orlando uh disney world resort 
Have you heard anything, and it's okay if you haven't, about, you know, media going to those games? Or what would that situation be like, do you think? I have not heard anything yet. And um, frankly, I've been ignoring that question because I think it's on. It's the last thing on everybody's mind right. in terms of, um, you know, what what's important right now. Of course. Uh, everybody wants to get a season started. And less people are thinking about, hey, are they going to allow access to um, the media? My guess is that they're not going to allow a lot of media into this bubble because mm-hmm. that was the purpose of having a bubble. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, they have their TV partners at ESPN and TNT, and I think they're going to need certain media members there. I don't know, and frankly, I don't expect them to allow beat writers into the bubble. What are some of the challenges, do you think, of covering, you know, a team such as the Knicks um, in a situation like this? You know, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's difficult because you're not, you know, doing your normal thing. Uh, yeah, it is difficult because you have to, when it started, um, you know, I, it was hard to come up with story ideas because, um, there's not much going on, but I'm used to this, you know, the, the Knicks are usually done with their season by, by March, you know, by February, like at, at that point, the game stopped to matter. So you have to think of creative ways to come up with stories because, not many people care about the actual results of the game anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that extends to the summer. That extends to, um, you know, all the way up until training camp begins, basically. You're coming up with different stories that have, without, with very limited access to the team. So it's something I'm used to. I um, I put together two pretty long stories uh, for the Sunday sections. One was about taking a look back at the Anuka Brown-Sanders trial. I actually went through 1,600 pages of transcript of wow. that trial uh, to do that story. And then I, I interviewed Dave Checkets, the um, the former president of the Knicks, who was responsible for basically building that team in the 90s, and I did a big story with him. So I've been keeping myself busy. Um and there's always the idea that the draft is coming up. Eventually, the Knicks are also going to embark on a coaching search soon. Yeah, I've, I've been in touch with different people trying to um, break news about who they're going to hire in terms of the executive um, stuff. So, you know, the Knicks always keep you busy. Mm-hmm. And th- this is not that new to me. I'm kind of used to this situation. Right. Have Have you ever experienced writer's block? Have I experienced writer's block? Yeah, yes, I have, but... You can't, as a writer on deadline, and, and this this dynamic is kind of changing in the business. Um, I, I'm a newspaper writer, and we have different deadlines. It's not just the one deadline that you have to fulfill to make the final print. There's also there's different editions. So right. I need to have a story in, let's say I'm covering a game, right? I need to have a story in before the game starts. I need to have a story in as soon as the game ends, like as soon as the buzzer happens, basically. Mm. That's called the Story. And then I got to have another story um, right after the game is like right after locker room access is over about 30 minutes after locker room access is over. So I'm used to just pumping stuff out. Uh, you can't really have writer's block in that situation. So you got to you got to adjust your mind mind frame to um, to those different deadlines. So I don't really have that much of a problem with writer's block at this point. Yeah. Have let me ask you this. though: have you ever missed a deadline? Never, never. No. Have you ever come very, very close? Probably. See, the the, the the funny thing is there's this, always this give and take with editors and writers. 
uh, where they tell you to get a story in by a certain time, but really the deadline is probably 30 minutes after that, like the real hard deadline. Yeah. So they, they tell you the earlier deadline because they want it in as early as possible. Of course. Um, I, ne- I don't know how close I came to actually missing that final drop dead deadline. But I, I, as far as I remember, and I've been working at the Daily News for 10 years, and I previously worked at news- different newspapers for uh, 10 years before that, I have not missed the deadline. That's, I'm sure, I'm sure you're very... I'm you very know, proud. Yeah, you're very proud of that. Um, what has been, I guess, your best experience as, you know, a, a reporter in your time, you know, covering the Knicks or in your overall career? You know, I had probably had the most fun covering the Nets. I covered the Nets um, while they were still in Jersey, actually, mm-hmm. their last two years in New Jersey, and then their first three years in Brooklyn. And the it was a different dynamic then. When you cover the Knicks, um, there's more of a confrontational attitude to, between the team and the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking for the least amount of access as possible for you got for us and it um it it it's not it, it it's not really conducive to you writing the best stories you can possibly write when i was covering the nets um the access was a lot better um uh, we got to build relationships with a lot of people um we got to get to know the players a lot better we got to know got to know the coaches and the um executives a lot better more on a personal level and uh, that lends itself to good stories. I thought I wrote um, some really good stories covering the Nets over those years. And it was also a learning experience for me. And it's more fun when you first start off somewhere. And those were my first years covering a professional team where the Brooklyn Nets and the New Jersey Nets. So um, it's uh, it was a lot more fun. Not a lot more fun, but it was fun. And uh, I felt like I did um, some good work covering those guys. Has, has that been like... Um, or let me rephrase, let me rephrase that. Like when you were first starting out, those interactions. Do you think that helped you feel more confident into your, of yourself going forward in your career? That you had those positive interactions um, early on. Yeah, and you learn through the years. You learn how to interact with people that you're covering. You learn to build relationships with people, and a lot of it is trial and error. You learn what not to do, what to do, uh, and it's really hard to explain how um the right the right way to build relationships and and interview people it's 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 almost like a case-by-case basis and mm-hmm. um you learn as you go the the best the best method of learning is experience and that's really what all i can say is that you know you can you can go um you can go to all harvard journalism school or columbia journalism but it does not replace uh, the experience you get working at an actual paper or an actual beat or a website or whatever it is, that is the best experience you can get. Did you always know, you know, in your mind, in your heart, that you wanted to be a newspaper writer or a reporter? No, not always. Um, now, I'm a little unique in that my father worked at, uh, was a writer, so I grew up in that environment. Really? My, yeah. Um, my mother as well she um she's a journalist my father was a sports writer so oh, I, wow. I yeah i grew i grew up in the situation but i still it wasn't like i always wanted to become a writer or a sports writer sure i didn't really yeah i didn't really know it till i was a sophomore or junior in college really mm-hmm. a lot of people are um you know say they got their start like you know earlier in 
in, um, I guess, college or, you know, even high school to some extent. Do you think that may, did you ever feel like that maybe set you back a little bit or not so much? Uh, no, because, um, when, by the time I decided that I wanted to do it, the first thing I did was get a job at the school newspaper. I went to the university of Maryland. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I said, I was, I grew up in the environment, so I kind of had a good idea, uh, how it worked. And I've also, I didn't want to be a journalist, but I, I was always into writing. Um, right. I've always written. I took all kinds of creative writing classes in college and in high school. So um, it wasn't that difficult of a transition for me. I didn't feel like I was left behind. Mm -hmm. Now, is there a sport that you like to cover, you know, the most? Is it is it basketball? Because I know you've done some, you know, other stuff in your career. Like, you know, you've done football, um, some baseball here and there. But what do you like covering uh, the most? Probably basketball and soccer soccer did you play yeah. soccer growing up i did play soccer growing up Very I, played nice. a little, I played a little basketball and i played baseball um so it always helps when you play a sport um that, that you cover it gives you a, a working knowledge of that sport and that helps a little bit but um the what i liked about soccer the most was it was so unique um i actually went one of the best experiences i've had is i went to mexico and covered a U.S. national team against Mexico in a World Cup qualifier. Wow! I was actually I was actually following the U.S. team around for a little bit in um, about two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and it was fun. Mm -hmm. That was that was fun times. It was different. Um, there's nothing like covering a game in Azteca Stadium in in uh, Mexico City. Yeah, is there? Are there? Are some of the challenges of you know your job the travel aspect of it all? You know, because you're away from home a lot. I'm sure. Yeah, I have a family. Um, I have two kids and a wife, and um, it was it was a lot harder at first when the kids were younger. Right. Um, and it's hard. It, frankly, it's hard to get used to traveling because there are different things that you don't understand about <laughs> packing, what to pack, and how big your bag should be. You know, you all get you get used to that kind of thing, but. As you know, as you get experience doing that stuff, it becomes a lot easier. I'm the worst packer in history. I overpack so much. It is absolutely ridiculous. But I mean, yeah, I guess like I don't I don't I certainly don't travel as much as you. Yeah, you don't um, want to overpack. You don't want to overpack. You want to keep every Listen, I'm I've become a master at even if I'm going for a 10-day trip, I will not even check a bag. Really? That's how much of an efficient packer I am. You're the most efficient packer. Yeah. That's important. Also important is book the right flights because one, my first year or first, second year, maybe, I don't know, covering the Nets, I booked the wrong flight oh. um, and I ended, I was supposed to go to Denver and I ended up in like Las Vegas. So, Oh, <laughs> that's, you know, pretty, what did you, what did you do in that situation? Like, how did you, did you end up getting to the game or? Yes. Yeah, that, and that's another thing I pride myself on. I have never um, missed a game that I've been scheduled to cover. Um, and that includes going on the road. Uh, but I, in that particular situation, I had I had a long conversation. I, I was on the, um, you know how long it is when you try to call these airlines and you're on hold for like five hours. Um, but yeah, I, I called the airline and they fixed everything. I don't remember how much it cost, but um, yeah, that was a bad mistake. <laughs> did you did um did the Daily News cover cover that for you, or do you pay out of pocket for your flights? 
in that situation, when it's that uh, egregious of a mistake that I made, um, I would pay for it, but for myself, unless it was too expensive, I don't remember what happened in that instance, though. Mm, that's that's oh my god. So what? I guess let me run off on that a little bit. What's some of like your most interesting or unique, um, you know, stories personally throughout your career? Interesting and unique stories throughout my career. I mean, well, that, I'm sure I'm sure that you know is high up there. Yeah, no, no, that wasn't that bad. I mean, the I I, I don't want to get too bogged down in the travel stuff because mm-hmm. it, it sounds like I'm whining and everybody no. wants to travel. But I will go over some of the, the things I've covered, um, important di- things that I've covered throughout my career. One of them that uh, that was awesome to cover was the NBA Finals in 2016. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I was able to see the Game 7. I was in Oakland that night uh, when LeBron James made that block and Kyrie Irving hit that shot. That was Mm -hmm. probably the best, most important game that I've been at. Um, And uh, I've covered, I think, five, no, eight NBA Finals. Wow. Not every game in those Finals, but eight different NBA Finals. Um, Covered a ton of All-Star games. You know, it's all fun stuff. I'm sure. Um, and it, it's all memorable stuff when it, when you look back and say, wow, I covered that game. Yeah. How do you – how have you distinguished yourself from, you know, other reporters, you know, as you have ascended in your career? How have you, you know, tried to stand out? Um, I think um, two different ways. One is from the beginning I've, I've enjoyed writing – magazine length features Mm. um and early in my career i wrote a story um well early in my career at the daily news i wrote a story about the draws so you know draws petrovic the um former net who died in a car crash i believe so yeah so he was a big i mean he was a superstar back then Mm -hmm. um i think michael jordan said he was the best uh, international player ever played but he was in a car crash um, in the early 90s while he was playing for the New Jersey Nets, and he died. Mm-hmm. And this was a big story back then. And I looked it up. I was covering the Nets at the time, and I looked it up just to see, you know, maybe there's another angle here that hasn't been reported. And I saw that in the um, write-up of what happened at the crash, there's this, uh, there's the woman who was driving, who was Drazen Petrovic's um girlfriend everybody knew about her but there was another passenger in this car really and nobody knew about and um i it had her wrong name it had her wrong age yet i was still able at that time to track her down um and she was living in turkey at the time and i interviewed her and i told her a story that was pretty it was pretty sad and depressing she um she ended up having a um having to go to the hospital because of the accident. She was really beat up. She lost some of her memory, but oh, she wow. told me her story and it, th- that story be- kind of blew up and they turned it into like a mini documentary about her. Wow. Uh, but that was, that was one of the early stories I liked. That was one of the early stories that I was proud of. How, how did you go about like, you know, reporting that? Because if, you know, her name was wrong, her age was wrong. Like how were you able to find her in Turkey for that matter? So yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, and this is this is almost ten years ago, mm. but um, I it, it had her first name correct, and it had her picture. Okay. Um, and I was able to somehow 
find her either Facebook page or LinkedIn page. I don't remember which one. And I was able to message her. Wow. And she was she was shocked um, that somebody had actually reached out to her. Um, but I, but through the years, she actually keeps in contact with me, and we've talked over the years about oh, different wow. things. Yeah, she. So as part of the documentary that was eventually made about her, she the the filmmakers had her meet Drazen Petrovic's um, mother. Mm. Um, so we kept in contact through all that. Wow, I'm sure that was such a, like a gratifying experience to you, you know, for you to be able to tell her story. Yeah, it was an interesting story. So, you know, growing up, like, are you your own biggest critic when it comes to when it comes to writing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, we've I have editors that have critiqued my stuff, and it's good to go back and forth. But yeah, I mean, when I look back and read some of my stuff, I'm like, I could have done this better or that better. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you work at a daily newspaper, you don't really have time to um, to really dwell on stuff, right? You know, do you think it would be different um, if you weren't at a maybe a daily newspaper? Maybe if it was like a weekly publication, monthly? Yeah, it'd be a little bit different. It'd be nice to have um, a lot of time to work on certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've kind of adjusted my brain to working at a daily newspaper and work and um, pumping out as, um, a lot of stories. Um, and there's something to be said of, hey, you wrote this. Um, if it was a good story or you feel it was a bad story, regardless, it's time to move on and try yeah. to figure out what's the next story, what's the next angle you want to take. What's and, you know, like, I'll give you a for instance. Right now, yeah. um, I'm covering both the Knicks and the Nets right now. Mm-hmm. And I think the big story that people are going to be talking about uh, is whether or not Kevin Durant is going to play in these um, resume playoff games mm-hmm. when they resume in Orlando. So, um, I wrote a column saying, outlining why I think he should, and then um, I, uh, uh, I I found uh, Spencer Dinwiddie talking on ESPN saying that um, if they come back, if Kyrie Irving and, and um, Kevin Durant come back, then we should be title contenders. So you kind of advance the story, knowing where it's going to be. Yeah, you know. Let me ask you this though: Do you think he will? I mean, I know you said he should, but do you think he will? I honestly don't know. Um, and but I do think he should. I think I know he has talked a lot about how important it is, just the basketball aspect of it, um, how 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 much fun he has actually competing. And he doesn't like the, the sideshows, whether it's the media um, or the spotlight or the scrutiny from fans or whatever. And this is an opportunity for him to play in a playoff bubble. Um, where he doesn't have to deal with that thing, he's just play the thing, the stuff he loves, which is basketball. So, as long as he's healthy, and, and for about um, in March, there was a video of him blowing by a defender and dunking. Yeah, uh, I think I saw so, that. So, I mean, I would assume at this point, whenever the season resumes, that he is healthy. Mm-hmm. What would what was like the best piece of advice or criticism? You know, maybe that helped you improve over your career. The, uh, there's been so many. Um, my father was obviously a big influence. Um, sure. Uh, the person who covered the Knicks before me, Frank Isola, helped me out a lot. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it it's um, to take the um, don't get bogged down in the minutia stuff. Um, people, when you cover a team, especially in basketball, it's so star driven. 
um, to concentrate on the stars because people care about that. People want to read about the stars. Um, so I, I can't really pinpoint one exact piece of advice, but, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know where to go with that one. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. How have you, I guess, gauge your growth? Um, you know, you said like you're, you are your own biggest critic, but was there, was there a time where you, you told yourself like, Hey, like I'm actually, you know, feeling comfortable doing this, you know, that maybe like you got into your routine a little bit. I'm still not comfortable. Um, you know, there's, I mean, my, the routine stuff I, I got comfortable with pretty quick. Now, remember I, I didn't start covering the NBA or the nets until I was 30 years old. I had mm-hmm. already, I had already worked as covering high school sports at the New Jersey Herald in Sussex County for, for um, a few years and covered a minor league baseball team at the New Jersey Herald for a few years. And then I went to the Bergen record where I covered um, soccer and more high school sports. So I was very comfortable already um, when I started covering the NBA in terms of the daily writing, daily stories, coming up with features, stuff like that. Um, But I'm still not comfortable with, with some of the other stuff like, um, the free agency stuff, I think it's it's all still a work in progress. Right. Um, what about reporting makes you tick? Like, what do you enjoy the most about it? Um, I like having a story that nobody else has. And to see... Now, in today's world, you get to see the feedback immediately. Yeah. Uh, you just go on Twitter. <laughs> and people will tell you... I mean, just the other day, um, it's amazing how a story can blow up. Yeah, but um, just the other day I had that the Nets the Nets have been talking internally about acquiring Bradley Beal, mm-hmm. and um, I got that on good authority, and I wrote the story, and you know now it's part, and since there's not many sports going on, it became part of every talk show on ESPN. That mm-hmm. story, um, so it's cool to see stuff like that. I also like to see when I write these features that that I was telling you about before the feedback from the actual people that I write about. That's pretty cool. Yeah. How did you go about reporting that, you know, that Bradley Beal thing? I can't tell you. <laughs> but uh, some I, I got something. Um, the, I got the information. And then I wrote the story. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. I would never ask, like, to reveal a source or anything. But I guess that leads me into, you know, another question. Like, were you nervous to... I guess approach like your first source like what's the best way to build up a network of sources so you are able to get stories such as that one uh it some of it takes time quite frankly um to build up relationships with people Uh, and a lot of it is just being present you know we talked about earlier uh i guess before you started recording about how important it is to be present right yeah Uh, um to actually be be with the team that you cover to build those kind of relationships to to go to these basketball games and before the games you walk around you walk the court floor and talk to um different executives or agents that might be at the game that day and to build up relationships like that that that's certainly one way to do it um another way to do it and a lot of writers do it and it's it's um ethically i don't know but uh, to like if an agent wants hey my client is doing this um, charity event mm-hmm. you write about it and then all of a sudden the agent owes you a favor 
So there, there are different ways to, to, to go about this, um, and uh, you can choose what you want to do. Yeah, I, I understand where I think you can run into a, a couple problems in that sort of situation, um, ethically speaking. Um, one question I had was, what were your thoughts on The Last Dance? Because I saw you, you were doing a few pieces on that. Um, you reported a story that of like leaked audio that Jordan didn't want to, you know, play on the dream team. You know, if Isaiah Thomas was there, um, what were your thoughts? So just like, what were your thoughts on the last dance and like, and what were your thoughts like writing that story? Um, well, that story was, I mean, I just saw online that it was one of those throwaway stories that, um, you know, you can just throw up on the web. That was, um, I think Jack McCallum, the great sports illustrated writer who had written a story about, uh, uh, he had written a book about the Dream Team mm-hmm. fairly recently in 2011. He put on his podcast the audio of an interview he did with Michael Jordan for that book. So that was something I just saw on the web. Actually, I think Andy, who we were talking about earlier, yeah. told me a heads up about that, and I just wrote it up. So, But overall, I also wrote a story about four things that I found wrong with The Last Dance. And um, now, for, first of all, I thought The Last Dance was tremendous. I grew up a Knicks fan, so I hated Michael Jordan, but I had a <laughs> an appreciation for him and really that just reiterated how great he was seeing those clips of him doing what he did and he was one of the few athletes that you can watch his throwback games and say wow he would dominate this era he don't he dominate the next era he was just that special um and now that, that kind of the documentary kind of documentary kind of reiterated that but um there were some issues i had with it um because the director went out of his way to go out and say listen we you know i had autonomy over this i had total creative control but a lot of times it felt like a nike commercial for jordan and it it wanted to tell his side of the story one one thing that i thought was missing was his family life i mean he had a wife for 17 years and it didn't i mean this is basically it's a last dance and i know what they say it's a documentary about the bulls but it was really a documentary about michael jordan how can you tell his story without telling the story of his family yeah a, so, lot of, a lot of people said like um you know i can even say this for myself like um you know if i asked somebody um hey are you watching the last dance and they were they were coming back to me saying oh what's that i'm like oh it's that michael jordan documentary you know you right. never really said it's that documentary on the you know chicago bulls obviously michael jordan was a part of that but you know what i mean right 100 percent. it felt like a documentary for not only about Michael Jordan, but for Michael Jordan and his legacy. Um, and there are reasons why he wouldn't want his family life out there. He, um, the backstory is that uh, he denied his child at first with Juanita, his wife, and his wife had to like file a paternity suit before they even got married. Um, and then there was like rumors of infidelity. Some woman, he paid some woman $250,000 of hush money. Um, so that she wouldn't reveal their affair, and none of that, none of that even was even broached in uh, in the documentary. So um, mm-hmm. that was one of the problems I had with it. The other problem is was less so was the pizza story was ridiculous, um, and obviously the stuff about Isaiah he wasn't being fully truthful because now they have him on audio saying something else. Mm-hmm. You think it actually? You think he actually was having like you know the flu? You don't think it was pizza? No, I don't. Think it was, I don't think that that story. Uh, hold on one second. Yeah, uh, that story about the pizza uh, just seemed silly for a few reasons. 
Yeah, I'm sure. So, I guess let me ask you like one or two more questions, more like you know about you. But like, what do you do when you're not watching sports or covering a game? Like, what's when you're not working? What do you like to do? Well, I got um, I have my nine year old. Sorry, my eight year old, about to be nine year old daughter. Nice. Uh, I got a sixteen year old son who's a handful, uh, but he's a good kid. And then uh, we, uh, you know. I got a lot of personal things. I got friends. Um, I got nothing like a, a big hobby or anything like that. But, um, you know, family life keeps me busy. Sure. What do you, you know, I, I like to ask this question, you know, when I'm interviewing people for like a feature story, you know, what do you, what's something you like or admire about yourself? Man, I, <laughs> uh, I don't want to, I don't want to answer that because it's like, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm being braggadocious. No, uh, not at all. Um, but um, I like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I like about myself. Yeah, it's, a, it's. A, I mean, I know it's an interesting question. It's not, Why, what do you like about yourself? What do I like about myself? Yeah. Um, I like, I admire my work ethic. Um, I, I like my ambition. Um, I'm really, I like to say like, you know, I have a good personality, you know, I like to be genuine, um, you know, I don't, I don't lie, you know, I, you know, you have a little, you throw in a little white lies, but like, yes. you know what I mean? Like, I don't outright lie, <laughs> um, you know, I'm just a genuine guy, you know, hardworking and, you know, I'm passionate about what I want to do. Like, you know, I've said that. What you are doing right now is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So. Okay, cool, man. That's, you know, I I think that's something I would say I like a lot about myself. All right, cool, man. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I really appreciate appreciate your time with this. It means the world to me, and I'm really looking forward to writing this story. All right, man. I'm looking forward to reading it. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. It really means a lot. I love hearing all the good feedback uh, from the Sport Profile. You can check out the story on Stefan Bondi right now online at thesportprofile.wordpress.com. Thank you for all your support. Continue to stay safe.